from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Today's first scripture comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. Listen for and hear the word of God. Do not let loyalty and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and of people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Maggie. Let us join together in prayer. Dear Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts 
be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, last month, our family took extra precautions so that we could drive to Philadelphia to spend two weeks with my family. Part of that time was spent at the shore, a family vacation tradition that dates back to my childhood. Seeing my family and spending time with them in one of my favorite places was such a special gift. My 11-year-old niece, Carrie, and I enjoyed creating what I have come to call shell art. After collecting seashells from the beach, we design words and pictures for the shells that are meaningful to us. And then we would turn some of those shells even into necklaces, like the one that I am wearing this morning. Some of the words that I found myself writing on the shells were loyalty and faithfulness. As it says in the proverb that Maggie read for us this morning, do not let loyalty and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Well, that's what Carrie and I literally did. We put these words around our necks. We're trying to write them on the tablet of our hearts. For when we do this, we live into our goals of pursuing them. Loyalty and faithfulness. I've been thinking a lot about these character qualities this summer. Now more than ever, I'm committed to seek out people who possess these virtues in these days of COVID-19, in these days of pandemic, in these days of discord and division, where the ground is shaky and uncertain, in these days of worry and fear and frustration. I'm trying to stay focused on the steadiness and strength of loyal and faithful people. I'm longing for examples, for witnesses, for leaders, for friends and communities of loyalty and faithfulness. And I wanna prove to be faithful and loyal in these days. May we be found faithful. For me, Being centered in the values of loyalty and faithfulness, it's been an antidote to the uncertainty, the discord, the worry, the fear and frustration which abound in these days and often make their way into my own heart and mind. Looking for examples of loyalty and faithfulness has helped me focus on what I want more of in my life. This, of course, is another way to say, I want more of God in my life. For God is loyal. God is faithful. God is our rock and our redeemer. And God's loyalty and faithfulness create a foundation, a stronghold, and a peace in the midst of the storm. God's loyalty and faithfulness to the covenant God sealed in the person of Jesus Christ is what anchors 
our lives. As the proverb implies, God is trustworthy. God will make a way, and in that way, we are formed by God's grace to be a loyal and faithful people. It's no accident that the scriptures talk so much about God's loyalty and faithfulness. Even when the people wander, even when the people are disloyal, God is constantly and consistently faithful. And it is God's faithfulness that shapes our faithfulness. It is God's loyalty that shapes our loyalty to God and to neighborly love. And so this morning, I invite you to discern with me how loyalty and faithfulness might take shape in our lives more fully in the days to come. Think about what it means to choose loyalty and faithfulness in our day-to-day choices of how we invest our time, resources, and the people who we choose to draw near to. To help us, we will look to Mary Magdalene. I recently learned that July 22nd in the Roman Catholic tradition is the feast day of Mary Magdalene. Her feast day, however, is relatively new. In 2015, Pope Francis changed this day of recognition from a memorial to a feast day. A memorial is for a lesser saint, and a feast day is for a saint of prominence. In other words, Pope Francis elevated the standing of Mary Magdalene. And I invite us to do the same today. Let us lift her up as a witness of loyalty and faithfulness. Hear from God's word again to you and to me from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on, the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary, she stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, 
one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mary Magdalene. Well, as a child, I came to think of Mary Magdalene as the prostitute who Jesus rescued from her life of sin. Mary Magdalene always reminded me of Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter. During my growing up years as well, there was a lot of interest in pop culture surrounding Mary Magdalene. Books and movies were being made that Mary Magdalene was the love interest or a secret wife of Jesus. In seminary, I learned that several New Testament stories about different women in the New Testament had all been conflated, and it wasn't accurate to attribute all of these stories to Mary Magdalene. With all of that, I didn't ever pay very much attention to Mary Magdalene. There seemed to be so much speculation, so much unknown, and I just never figured her to be a central figure in the story. Well, Richard Rohr, a Franciscan priest, did a week-long daily devotional on Mary Magdalene this July corresponding with her feast day. My mother receives Rohr's devotional emails every morning, and she started sharing with me each day what she was learning about Mary Magdalene. The focus was around Mary Magdalene's demonstrated loyalty and faithfulness. And I found myself listening closely, wanting to understand more about who Mary Magdalene was and what I could learn from her witness. Mary Magdalene was the woman who was closest to Jesus. Luke 8.2 describes how they first connected. Mary Magdalene was possessed by seven demons, and Jesus healed her. He released her from that oppression. Mary Magdalene is mentioned by name in all four of the gospel accounts and is the one 
person who is accounted for as being present in the tomb at Jesus' resurrection in all four gospel accounts. It doesn't get more central than that. In our text from John, she is the first witness to the resurrection, and she declares, I have seen the Lord, the resurrected Lord. Episcopalian priest Cynthia Borgo explains how she came to see Mary Magdalene as a key witness of a person who was loyal and faithful to Jesus. Not only was she present at the tomb to see Jesus in his resurrection, she waited and kept watch in the great darkness. In Matthew 27, he writes, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. Burgo writes, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary stood by in silent, unflinching vigil the whole time Jesus was being laid to rest there. She remained faithful and steadfast in the darkest hours. I love picturing how Mary Magdalene held vigil for her Lord, how she was loyal and faithful even in the darkness. Richard Rohr writes, Mary Magdalene remained present for the entire process from death unto new life, exactly what is necessary to witness resurrections in our own lives as well. Mary Magdalene remained present for the entire process from death unto life, exactly what is necessary to witness resurrections in our own lives as well. When I think of Mary Magdalene as a witness for our faith formation and the living of these days, I think of two things. First, I think of her steadfast loyalty and faithfulness to Jesus as a response to his healing presence in her life. And second, I think of her loyalty and faithfulness in the darkness, even when all seemed lost. I'm going to reflect briefly on these two in turn. So first, Mary was loyal and faithful to Jesus, following his healing in her own life. Jesus proved himself trustworthy. He proved himself capable of bringing healing and restoration to her life. And this truth is one I would invite us all toward today. Remember how Christ has brought healing into your life. Remember how Christ has liberated you. Remember how Christ has made a way, how Christ has made your paths straight. In these days of discord and uncertainty, we can get caught up in the headlines of the moment. We can become so occupied trying to figure out if we can trust this or that reporting, this scientific study or that scientific study, this worldview or that worldview. 
And sometimes we fail to remember that we can always trust Jesus. He is our salvation. Jesus is our liberator. Jesus has proven himself in the past. He is proving himself now, and he will prove himself into the future. Jesus is trustworthy in life and in death. Some of you have heard me reflect on how I am needing to work harder than usual these days to be mindful of my own mental and spiritual health. This takes intention as well as God's grace. The Samaritan Counseling Center has had more client sessions these past two months than at any other two-month period in our 20-year history. The choices that you and I make in these days to care for ourselves, to draw near to God, and to draw near to people who help us on that journey are especially essential for us in these days. I reached out to a friend last week who helps me grow and be centered in my faith. She told me about a new book that she was reading and a way that God has been working in her life. She shared with me, one of the stories that I can tell myself is that my husband doesn't love me enough. And I've been encouraged through some of the work that I'm doing, she said, to ask myself what is true and what is false in the stories that I tell. The truth is that God loves me enough. God loves me perfectly. The truth is that my husband and I can both grow in ways to better be able to show our love to one another. Neither of us are feeling perfectly loved by the other Neither of us will ever be able to love the other perfectly. And both of us can try to love one another better. That, to me, is practicing faithfulness and loyalty. And it opened possibilities for me in my own life as I understand God's faithfulness to me and as I seek to be faithful in the relationships that God has given me. Jesus is trustworthy in life and in death, and our hope in the resurrection is secure in him. Like Rohr suggests, I believe that you and I can witness resurrections in our own lives today as we practice faithfulness and loyalty in the way of Jesus. And then secondly, I also think of how Mary Magdalene was faithful and loyal in the darkness. We know that Mary wasn't perfect, just as none of us is perfect, but there's a powerful witness to her faithfulness here. There's a powerful witness in her keeping vigil at the tomb. There's an image here of her going to anoint Jesus' body. To the world, the the vigil might seem foolish. Jesus is dead. Death wins again. Love is snuffed out. Hope is dashed. We might hear the world say, move on. 
There's no reason to be loyal or faithful anymore to a mission that's been defeated. There's a temptation for us in these days too, especially as the months wear on to give up on the mission of Christ. There's such a temptation to jump in the fray of our soundbite, the ugly and demonizing culture that surrounds us. There's such a temptation to live for ourselves and not to live for God and for our neighbor. In so many ways, the world scoffs at those who remain loyal and faithful in the dark. But we Christians take the long view. We know that hope is on the way. We know resurrection is on the doorstep. And we know that new life and healing and wholeness are on the move. The world thinks we're foolish to keep our allegiance to God in the dark, but we do it anyway. I've been enjoying a thoughtful, big book entitled No Higher Honor, a memoir of my years in Washington by Condoleezza Rice. I've been wishing that I could be friends with Dr. Rice for about 20 years when I started learning about her and found that her father was a Presbyterian minister, just like my own father. In this book, she tells the story of William Seward, a former Secretary of State. I had not heard of Seward before this reading, and it turns out that it is thanks to him that we bought Alaska. When the purchase was submitted for ratification in the Senate in 1867, Seward was ridiculed. People would ask in the time to come, why would you pay the Tsar of Russia $7 million for that icebox? Soon thereafter, the decision to purchase Alaska became known as Seward's Folly. Rice wrote, One day I was talking with the then Defense Minister of Russia, Russia Sergei Avanov. He'd recently visited Alaska, and he said to Rice, it's so beautiful. It reminds me of Russia. Sergei, it used to be Russia, she quipped. Rice said, we're all glad that Seward bought Alaska. I love this story because it's about the long view. Loyalty and faithfulness are about the long view. When the world thinks that we are foolish, remaining loyal and faithful in the dark, we remember the ark of the gospel. We remain faithful and loyal in times of trial. We remain faithful and loyal in times of darkness because we know that God makes a way when there seems to be no way. We know that God will raise the dead to life. We know that God heals. We know that God will restore our hope. We know God is faithful 
and loyal to you and to me and to the whole world. And so we remain faithful and loyal to God this day and in the days ahead. And we remain faithful and loyal to one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, in this local body of Christ. Amen.